Hi there. Thanks for stopping by to this week's edition of Tellich Talks. And Hayden Grove from Cleveland.com is my guest. And he's a real interesting interview, to say the least. He's dealt with anxiety, with depression. He has dealt with his body image, where he was at the point as a younger man where he literally was starving himself, very few calories per day, exercising like a fiend. He didn't really understand what he was doing to himself. He got help. He turned his life around. And all the while, he was very forthright in talking about the issues that he has dealt with. He wrote a piece for Cleveland.com where he spoke about the mental health issues that he has dealt with, the anxiety, the panic attacks, that feeling when you just cannot get out of bed. He dealt with those things, but all the while he pursued his career, his career choice to be a sports journalist. And as a sports journalist in this day and age, that means you're pretty much a digital sports journalist. So you will see Hayden at all kinds of events covering Cleveland sports and other sporting events. He grew up mostly down in Florida, but his family hails from this area, so he feels he's blessed to be here in Northeast Ohio working for the company that he works for and covering the sports teams that he had such a great affinity for while he was growing up down in South Florida. And he is an accomplished singer a phenomenal voice. Stick around to the end of the interview and you'll hear a little bit of that. He does Michael Buble, Harry Connick Jr. He has that uh, certain ability to command an audience and he has a fantastic singing voice. I hope you enjoy that as well. Hayden Grove right here on Tellage Talks. Give a listen. Hayden, great to have you on the show and I'm very curious as to how you thought as a youngster that you wanted to be in journalism. And, and so what were some of the things that kind of drove you in this direction? Yeah, my love, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on. I mean, sure. I'm a big fan of yours. I always grew up watching you. And uh, again, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, an honor to be here. Um, and it's an honor to get a look at the Fox 8 studio. I mean, you've, you're uh, your kingdom here. You own this place. So <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you I got to look at your temple. Um, but no, seriously, I'm um, in terms of journalism, um, I love sports. I love sports. And uh, I knew I wasn't good enough to play. Um, I, I did okay in high school, but I wasn't going to be a big-time athlete. And um, I've always had a pretty unique, not unique, but pretty uh, good knack for writing and for telling stories. And um, it kind of just finagled its way into a uh, journalism career. And I actually started off in broadcast. I, okay. did, I did broadcast at Ohio State. Um, so that was a little bit different in terms of writing and whatnot. And then uh, transitioned to social media and some writing over at Cleveland.com, and that's what I'm doing now. That's kind of cool because, like, a lot of guys would, you know, maybe they start off uh, in print journalism, and now you're affiliated with a newspaper. You're also, mm -hmm. you know, you're with Cleveland.com. Mm -hmm. So you kind of came at it from a slightly different direction. Yeah, I mean, I came at it from a backwards direction to where I started off in, like I said, I started off as the sports director at our TV station at Ohio State yeah. and uh, got to know that realm a little bit. And, you know, I just wanted to be a jack of all trades, I mean, maybe a master of none, but I wanted to be able to have my hand in everything so I knew what to do, so I could be more versatile, so I could have a job coming out of college. And luckily enough, I was able to you know work for a company called scout.com for a little bit coming out of school and here in cleveland and then uh, cleveland.com saw some of my work and was willing to put me on the social media team and then kind of finagle that into sports and that's where we're at now well, it's kind of cool the way social media has evolved how did you see it when you first got going and then how has it changed even in a short period of time so you mean social media in general yeah kind of in so, general yeah. and then and then your application to sure it. so i mean I remember, so I remember we were sitting in an auditorium in probably middle school and they, you know, we're, we're getting ready to start high school and, you know, we're starting to talk about college and career and what do you want to do? And they're like, well, it really doesn't matter because the job that you're going to have in 10 years won't be, doesn't exist right now. And, and I was like, well, okay, like doctors are going to be doctors, lawyers are going to be lawyers, you know, broadcasters are going to be broadcasters. So what are you really getting at? Is right. What, yeah. yeah. I was like, what do you mean? Right. Head. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, sure enough, then comes the big Twitter and Facebook boom and, and, um, you know, social media jobs started popping up and I got into social media, you know, being a young kid and 
probably fired off some not so great tweets when I was in seventh or eighth grade. I think I've deleted them all, but you know, not nothing bad, but just you know, goofy stuff being a kid. Um, but then you know, when you get into journalism, you kind of you watch some of the you know some of the John Telliches of the world, how they use it, how they approach it in regards to reporting, in regards to broadcasting, in regards to um, you know just getting the news out there, and and it's a really unique tool. I mean, I know you use it very well, and you seem to have a great grasp on it, and I'm still learning it, and uh, it just connects you with people. It can sometimes be uh, what do I want to say? It can sometimes be a hateful place, and I don't yeah. love that. Um, but I do enjoy the fact that you can connect with people. You can, you know, um, bring, get news out quickly and accurately, and you can take people to where they want to go. You know, a lot of my job is broadcasting live on Facebook and, uh, we take people, you know, we have a ton of viewers from, you know, Virginia and overseas and Guam and just places that, you know, that they were transported from Cleveland and uh, we get to bring Cleveland to them. So I think oh. that's a really interesting way to go about things. Is there a general template that you guys kind of follow when you determine what you cover or or, or just what you feel might be pretty high in the social conscious and people would be talking about stuff yeah for i mean my job is only is only sports related um so i do basically any you know get, people are always into games always into you know they love their calves they love their indians they love their browns you know that um we do do some ohio state games high school is a little hit or miss because there's so many yeah so for us to kind of pick games here and there i think it'd be you know we do sometimes do that but um we we tend to stick to the professional and the college just because i think that's what draws the greater interest um you know we love doing the tailgate coverage people love watching tailgate coverage it's crazy they love being out they love when we're out in the morning before browns games and seeing all the fans out there i mean cleveland is such an amazing football town as you sundays are crazy they're crazy and people from all over the country tune in on sunday morning before the game and that's, I think, what gets them like involved and excited for Browns game day. So we do a lot of different things. Um, basically, every event you see me at, I got my phone out and I'm brought live broadcasting, just showing people and, and trying to interact with people, um, you know, taking their comments and their questions and trying to get them involved into mm-hmm. what we're doing. And Hayden, you probably have come to grips being a young guy of the permanence of what you're doing. You know, I mean, it's there for Ever. You can't take it back. You can delete a tweet, but still there are people that still can screenshot it and all that stuff. So you, you probably have to be aware of that and deal with that. Yeah, you definitely do. Um, we all make mistakes. Sure. We've all done. We've all um, made typing errors or made, you know, many small factual errors or had bad takes or opinions, you of know. Of course. But, um, but yeah, you got to be aware of it for sure. And, uh, you know, I think the hard thing with broadcasting live is, I think people give do they do give you a little bit of a leeway, and if you say something that you didn't necessarily mean to say, um, you know, you say a name wrong or you you mispronounce right. a name, but yeah, you gotta be you do have to be cognizant of the fact that it's there forever. You know, it's not like in the old days where, um, you know, it's it's there one moment, gone the next. You gotta it's everything's permanent. Every one of your broadcasts is probably saved and yeah. clipped, and um, that's the way of the world these days. They're never gonna forget what you do, um, whether you want them to or not. And there's all there. How do you come to grips with some of the hate that's out there? Oh, I mean, so this is something I guess we can kind of segue. You know, I know we wanted to talk about some uh, yeah, some other some of, pers- kind of yeah sure. some of my personal stuff, but um, I think that you know some of the hate is uh, you just have to you have to build up thick skin because you know at least for me you know I've been through a lot in my life in, in regards to bad, being in a bad place and being in in and somebody once told me, you know, you are responsible for your happiness. You are responsible for, you know, making sure that you're happy every day. You know, that means, I mean, sure, some people, you know, you have your own way of making yourself happy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, things that people say, it just can't, it can't affect me. It can't, I can't let it because they will take me in a bad place and um, it will get me down. And So it's and, a conscious mantra that yeah. you have to oh, yeah. you, dictate, not, uh, recite to yourself that, you almost like writing on the chalkboard. I will not let this get me down. I will not. Yeah. In so many ways. And growing up, and I don't mean to take this, you know, in too, you know, down a direction, but growing up, you know, we, we talk about bullying and we talk about yeah. being bullied. And um, I, I wasn't necessarily bullied, bullied, but I, you know, mean kids say mean things all the time. And I would always kind of 
combat it with self-deprecation. I, that, that was my way of kind of... You got out ahead of it that yes, way. Yes, yes. You got out of, I got out ahead of it that way. And that's how I kind of... I think at first it kind of took me in a bad place. But I think now, you know, being in a happier headspace, being in a better mental state and, and having better mental health, uh, I think that's... I use it still to this day to kind of be like, all right, if you can't laugh at yourself... If you can't let people make jokes and have fun with it, I think that's the way in which I get over it is to, you know, when there's people say some some things, you know, just let them, let it, you can not necessarily, you know, egg them on, mm-hmm. but just you can, you can laugh at it, you can have some humor with it. And I think that's an easier way to get over, you know, some of the, because, you know, in this ind- industry, we see it all the time, people just say because, you know, because you're on TV or because, you know, you're on a platform, people think they can just you know, pepper you all yeah. day long with, with hate and hateful things. And, uh, you got to find a way to get over it. You got out in front of it by writing about it too. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was pretty admirable for you to kind of put that out there because it takes courage to kind of, uh, lay open some of your wounds if, as it were. Yeah. Was it tough to do that? Um, so to be honest, no, it was not tough because I had been thinking about it forever because I, I, this know. goes back to the bullying and things of that nature. Well, no, not no, not no. The, again, I can't like the kids that are really bullied these days. I can't say that, but um, but I did grow up with significant mental health issues in regards to, you know, depression, OCD, anxiety, which led to eating disorders and a lot of different things. And um, and that I don't know. It was basically what happened was when I was 17, 18 years old, I kind of just woke up, started just waking up in like a fog and my my mind was like going nuts and and i think there was an article recently i don't know if you saw it it was by ben gordon the former basketball player and he wrote for the players tribune and he said that he would you know who i think he mentioned something along the lines of i would wake up every morning and wonder well if there's a god then who created god and to me it just it got me in this like headspace of well why are we lit why 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 are we living who cares why is there air? why is there air yeah it, and you just get in this headspace to where you're like none of this matters and and nothing like life is is nothing and i just i couldn't get up in the morning i would be in a fog all day i would be crying for no reason i would i, I thought i was going crazy my mind i literally thought in my mind that i was going crazy and I just, you know, my mom is from right here in Cleveland and my grandfather was from St. Clair Avenue and uh, Addison Road right here in East Cleveland. And they kind of had that attitude like, you know, don't let anything get you down. Come on, like pick you up by your bootstraps. Buckle up, buckle up, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> buckle up, buddy boy. And uh, and they didn't really, I, I just thought, okay, I got to just, I got to buckle up. I got to, you know, be that strong guy. And, 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 you know, my grandfather is the strongest guy I've ever met. And he worked through so much. And I was like, all right. This is nothing. And, I'm, and then it just got to the point where I was so in my head about everything and I couldn't, I just, I, I remember I had a panic attack when I was going, we were going to fly to, I was doing a, um, a music audition for college. Okay. And uh, I, was, I, was, I had a panic attack. I couldn't get on the plane. I, I was in my bed and I could not get up. And I was, you know, you've, yeah, you, you, heart's you know, pounding, right, the whole thing. And that's when my dad kind of, my dad's a medical professional. And he just said, all right, like, you know, we, this, is, this is more than just, you know, you feeling down. We have to figure it like this can be a medical issue. So my parents didn't really understand my mom or my mom didn't really understand. My dad kind of had more of a background in knowing because he did go to medical school and he knew that it could be a psychiatric issue. And I was lucky enough to find a psychiatrist who, um, I got to talk to a lot and kind of told him all of the ruminations in my mind. And, you know, he gave me a diagnosis and got me on some medicine. And then when he gave you the diagnosis, how, how did, was that, was that a a big load off of you? It was, it was huge. It was huge because I thought I was going crazy. I had no idea what was wrong with me. You know, my, my dad kind of had, he had the idea. My mom is like, well, he doesn't need medicine. What does he need medicine for? You know, just, he needs to, you know, just know what's going on and, and he'll be fine. And my dad's, you know, that's not how it works. Some people, they don't have the adequate, it's serotonin in your brain to, to you know, it's yeah. happy serum. It's, a, yeah, correct. it's, it's, it's what brings joy into your brain and he, he doesn't have enough and he needs medicine. So it was a huge weight lifted off of me. Um, finally got myself under control. And then I got to Ohio State where I was doing journalism and, you know, tra- supposed to be having the best time of my life. And 
it kind of reared its ugly head again when I started to try to back off because I thought, okay, well, this is just a, you know, this is just a short-term fix. Um, we can, we can, I can wane off of this and I'll be fine. Boy. Well, yeah. and then come college, I'm starting at the, as I mentioned, I'm starting at the TV station and working pretty much full time as, you know, trying to, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I love to, I'm a big like pusher. I like to go and, and work hard and be busy. And I wanted to get my all into yeah. it. I wanted to, because I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be here in Cleveland. And you felt you could kind of blow past all this. Yeah. Stuff. I said, if I just keep my head down, shove it to the side. Absolutely. If I just keep my head down, I keep working hard. I keep, you know, doing my job well. I'm going to be happy. Well, didn't really work that way, and uh, fell right back into it, and it got even worse because um, I started. I developed an eating disorder where I wouldn't eat. I would just work out all the time and, and just maybe, maybe eat a thousand calories a day because I thought that's what you know was. I was I was so focused on like being physically fit so that I could like work, and it just. I remember I got off of the plane from, you know, coming home. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. My parents are from uh, from here in Cleveland, but my dad worked for the Cleveland Clinic, and they opened up a Cleveland Clinic in Florida. Down there, so kind of kind of a transplant. So I remember walking off the plane, and my mom just immediately started crying. And I was like, I was like what's up? Mom? I was like, it wasn't happy tears. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, nice to see you. It was more like, oh, my God, like, what is wrong? And uh, the next day I was in a hospital. Um, getting tests done on every part of my body, and uh, I was diagnosed anorexic. I was 6'3", 159 pounds. Wow. And uh, had, like, all kinds of heart palpitations and, and stuff. And uh, and then immediately was with a psychiatrist, and he said basically, you know, Hayden, you just don't have you, you don't have the luxury of not being able to take this stuff. I mean, you see what happens every single time you're, you try to wane off of it. And... I came to the realization, like, okay, like if, if 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 it if it takes a pill a day for me to find joy in life and to not be miserable, I'll take that. You know, there are people who take pills for a lot of different di- things. Yeah, di- diabetes, heart disease, you know, low high blood pressure, every. So I said, all right, that's my affliction, and um, and I think that I think God gave it to me for a reason. And how do you feel? Um, as that you were in the depths of what you were going through mm-hmm. with a six three, not even 160 pounds, mm-hmm. what was your image of yourself? I thought I looked good. I really did. And that's something I have never been asked that question before. But I thought, I thought I was like, <laughs> it's it's tough to look back on. Um, but I thought I looked good. I thought I was like, you know, lean, mean fight machine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody uh, nobody around me really said anything. Um, was that the tough part that you 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 were a soldier for Hayden, but there wasn't anybody else enlisted aside from family that could help you out? And maybe that was by your choosing. It was your own battle. Um, or no? Did you have friends that could I did wanted have, to know what the I, hell was going on? I did have friends. I had. I mean, I, obviously the people that I worked with were close friends of mine at the station. Um, actually, my uh, he was a what, the, what was his official title? The student, um, he basically ran the, the student journalism program, and okay. he was. We became very close, and and I remember walking into his office, kind of towards the end of the semester, and looking like I did, and I just broke down. I broke down in front of him. I said, I can't do this. Like I'm so, me- I'm my mind is so mentally, dr- I'm so drained, my body is so drained, but and I I can't I can't continue. I can't continue. Like I want this job so bad, and I'm so privileged to have it. I got to cover the Ohio State national championship sure. team. Yeah. Got to go to Dallas. Got to go to the Sugar Bowl. Got to do all this fun stuff, and I was just absolutely completely miserable. And I said I can't do it. I and he just he said Hayden, go home, see your family, let them love you because obviously something's wrong. Just let them love you and see how you feel when you come back. You know, your job will be waiting if you want it. And if you feel like you can't, that's that more more power to you. And I went home. And for those two weeks, like I said, I was poked and prodded. And um, my family just we we got it back together and I felt better. But, yeah, when I was when I was going through it, I mean, you know, I think I think it's hard when you're seeing somebody every day to notice the physical change. Yeah. Like, you know, when you when you see somebody who either, you know, loses a lot of weight, gains a lot of weight 
over a period of time, you notice. Yes. You're like, oh, wow, look at the difference between, you know, three months down the road and from three months and three months. And we hear so much about the, the drastic weight losses, whether sure. it's the big lose, biggest loser right. who, who weighed 300 and now they're 187 yeah. or something. Yeah. And it, again, I, it, it wasn't that. It was probably like 30, 40 but pounds. But still, I mean, yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, is when I got back. You know, I, I don't know if I think they were scared. I think they were scared to say say anything because when I got back, they said, "Oh, you look so much better." Like you, you know, I, you, you, we didn't know what was happening. You were withering away, and I was like, "Well, I mean, I didn't like when, you, when you're when you're in that negative headspace, you don't even see it. You don't, you don't see it. You just, you just, you're, I, I can't. If you've been through it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it was one of those things where, I mean, again, I just feel like my family saved my life and um, I, I love them to death and I'm very, very, very blessed. Um, but even then, and again, I guess we can get into this, but, you know, they didn't want me to say anything to anybody. They didn't want me to, they didn't think it was time for me to Why kind of... Why do you suppose that is? If I could play, you could play amateur psychologist. Sh- sure. Um, I think it was, my family came from pretty, like we're pretty humble people. Um, humility was always kind of something that I was brought up in and, um, you know, never, it was never about yourself. It was always, you know, you're a cog in a machine. You're, you're... yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, have self-respect, have pride, but don't, you know, pat yourself on the back. Don't, um, don't draw attention to yourself if you don't need to. Um, I, (laughs) I'm not going to say I completely differ from that, but you know, I, I, I think I was, I don't know. I think I, I I think I have this kind of, maybe it comes from being in the, in the, being singing and being in the stage, but I think again, I'm, I'm not, I don't try to draw extra attention to myself. I just feel comfortable in a, in a spotlight. And, um, do you think that's kind of inherent to, and I don't want to broad, broad uh, brush here, but to a lot of today's youth because they've grown up with cameras in their faces. That could very well be. and, And, and they've grown up with, you know, they're kind of in a spotlight or on a stage and the stage being, you know, that device that we hold in our hands or point towards one another. You think that is a possibility? Yeah, I think so. I, have, I definitely think there's a possibility. I, I also got, I don't want to say it's just because there are people of my age that don't mind it either. Yeah, you know, no, I, from, I think that could certainly, I think more so now. I think I kind of grew up on the cusp of that. Mm-hmm. I think mine was more so being, you know, I've sung since I was in first grade so I was in rehearsals or in um recitals and I was always on stage always like in front of people and I think it got I just got comfortable that it way it was very second nature. yeah it was it became second nature to me but um but yeah I, I think that kids today absolutely you know kids they're they're 10 year olds with millions of followers and and they're making millions of dollars just for dancing on tiktok or whatever the heck it is and uh I mean, yeah, I think today's day and age is going to be very different. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Um, but for me, I think it was just more so being on the stage. Okay. And so you're on the stage, uh, you're doing your music, yep. but there's the other side is where you want to be a journalist. And in this new age that we have with social media being a big thing and with everything digital, you want to be a journalist. What did you envision, the, like the kinds of stories that you wanted to do other than like just covering a game? Yeah, which has many stories inherent to it. Kid coming back from a bad ankle makes the winning shot. Uh, two days ago, we had the player at Vermont came back from the yeah, brain injury. That was awesome. Oh my God, I was in tears. Yeah. And so, you know, what were you thinking as far as that's concerned? Um, I, I I just wanted to I wanted to cover the biggest and the best. I mm-hmm. wanted to cover. Um, I, I again, I, I wanted to tell. Well, I think it, it was twofold. You know, I think once you get into the, I, I think. Once you get in and you're at a low level, you gotta, you know, just cover everything. You want to be around. You want to be there. But I did. I wanted you to co- build your creds too. Sure, exactly. And I wanted to cover, I wanted to cover the biggest and the best. But I, I, I think, I loved writing feature story. Yeah, I loved writing the, 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 the feature on, you know, somebody that just. I like to just tell their story, whatever it was. And you know, it's not always going to be the most crazy story. It's not always going to be the most heartbreaking or the most uplifting. It's, it's, you know, stories are stories. People come from all different backgrounds and, and they all have their journeys. And I wanted to tell, you know, through sports, I think, you know, athletes are very, um, 
very different people because they have such routines they have and they can get to such heights and and they have to you know do so many different things that normal people aren't accustomed to um well, we all know the Theodore Roosevelt quote yeah. about the, you know the man in the, the arena, man, right? LeBron James. And I think a lot of a lot of athletes believe in that so thoroughly. They do. I remember writing about that when LeBron was talking about that. I remember exactly writing about that story about you know the man in the arena and kind of what it meant to him and how you know he um, has it tattooed and it's such a. I mean, Theodore Roosevelt was my is my favorite president. Um, I don't know why I, I, it was weird, but yeah, I mean, I think he's just so pro, profound and he kind of had that attitude, like, you know, he, he said, what, I think that's where it comes from. It's like walk stoffily, but carry a big stick. That was my, that was kind of the mantra that my dad always gave to me. Like Hayden, you know, walk softly and carry a big stick, you know, just, you don't always have to be out there and loud and obnoxious to get people, but you know. Don't be don't be ashamed of who you are and what you want in life and, and carry that stick with you. So that was that was my quote. That was my favorite Theodore Roosevelt quote. But yeah, the man in the arena. I mean, again, we don't we don't. That's why that's why it's hard for me to, you know, for people who haven't been around it, haven't you know played sports. Yeah. It's hard to explain. But to to have been there, to to have been around these guys, you know, been around sports now. It's 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 really a different animal, and I wanted to tell everybody's story from the last guy on the roster to the biggest guy on the roster mm -hmm. and you've had an opportunity to do that what are some of the favorite things that you've oh, uh, had a chance to be close to you said the ohio state went in the championship in yeah, 2014 that was amazing um obviously lebron i mean just the whole when he came back and and coming and the championship um i mean that was I, like LeBron, so for me, it's kind of so as I'm, as what's he represent to you? Because you're a young guy, yeah. you're you're similar in age, yeah. uh, you're younger than he, but yeah. you know you're similar. What's he represent to you? The, this iconic figure that the whole world knows and is so much more, as he says, my more than an athlete. I, I stand for more than just baskets and free throws and dunks. I stand for these I promise kids. I stand for. Um, you know, African Americans being treated pro yeah. properly. So in in journalism, you know, you're you're supposed to be very objective, and I mm -hmm. and that's very fair. Um, and I do try my best at every turn to be as objective as, as I can be. Um, but LeBron, growing up, I mean, he transformed everything for me. Like he, you know, just being a kid in in South Florida and watching from afar, but you know, my grandfather brainwashed me from the time <laughs> I was five years old to be an Indians, Cavs, and Browns guy in South Florida. But you know, LeBron James like put Cleveland on the map, and he, you know, he was the reason like for like, all of, all of my athletic anything I wanted to do. I wanted to be like LeBron. It didn't matter if it was football, baseball, basketball. I mean, LeBron James was like kind of like that. He was that shining light. That that like that. He was just that guy. Like it was crazy. It was this crazy. Far off, yeah. mythical. This figure. mythical figure, right? And and you know. And you saw him from probably you know when he was in ninth grade. So yeah. that's going back to that's we're talking twenty years. Oh basically. yeah. Yeah. And then everything happened with you know him going to Miami. Came right into my backyard. Um, didn't really love that from you know because I wasn't in journalism at the time. Didn't really love it. Didn't really understand it. And then. Once I got into journalism and once he came back, you know, I, it, it all just clicked. It all made sense. Um, you know, I looked at him, I looked at LeBron as, again, as this mythical feature, uh, myth, mythical creature, this guy mm -hmm. who was just so otherworldly, so famous, so incredible um, that I could never, like, imagine being near him. And then when I had the opportunity to cover him and to be near him, it all just made sense. You know, he's a human being. He's, sure. he's you and he's I, and he's a kid. Like he always says, he's a kid from Akron. He's yep. just, that's, that's what he is. He grew up with, you know, much less than I did, much less than you did. And yes. he, and he has done incredible things for the, for humanity, it, you know, to, to have built a school for these kids and gotten them free tuition to Kent State. Like, he is literally changing lives. Tons of them. Tons. And I think he is such an incredible ambassador. For, and no matter where he goes, whether it, be, whether it be Los Angeles, whether it be Miami, whether it be New York, whatever, he will always be Cleveland's. He will always be Northeast Ohio's. And I think that that's what I love so much about him is that, you know, he he didn't 
not only did you know not only did he come back to Cleveland and right. put and and win a championship for Cleveland and do that, he has always made sure that Cleveland is taken care of, that the kids in Akron are taken care of that it's always been I promise in St Vincent St Mary and you know the Akron community it's never been about you know other and yes he's helped other places too, but it's always been about home and I think that it means so much to this community. And it means uh, a lot to me just having been that 10-year-old kid watching me getting drafted and then being able to cover him and now watching him from afar in L.A. I mean, I can't wait for March 26th to see him again. It's just it's always a pleasure and it's always a privilege. And you've had an opportunity to be around a lot of these so-called iconic figures. You're a young guy. I'm sure they they feel they can relate a little bit more to you than maybe some of the card hardened uh, the, the crusty old veteran scribes or <laughs> well, or TV people and whatever. Sure. Um, yes and no because I mean I'm a huge I'm a huge respect your elders person. I think, you know, I have the utmost reverence for people like yourself, for people like Paul Hoynes, Mary Kay Cabot, uh, you know, Tony Gross, everybody, you know, everybody who's been here in Cleveland and who's gone through it. I have such respect and I have nothing but the most admiration. Tom Withers, I mean, there's so many people that I have, so many people in journalism that I have have the utmost respect for. And um, I view them as kind of, I view you guys as as the people that I look up to and I want to be like. But I think you're right in some cases, um, you know, because when I, it's hard for me because when I look at you or I, I look at Paul or whatever, I say, oh my God, yeah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be on my P's and Q's. I'm going to, I want to be like him. I got to be, you know, respectful and kind. And, you know, I expect the players to think the same way. Like if I'm a player, I would be like, oh man, I'm going to talk to John Tellich because that's John Tellich. I'm going to talk to Paul Hoynes because that's Paul Hoynes. But, you know, I forget sometimes that they don't necessarily come at it from where I'm coming at it. Correct. From. Yeah. They're coming at it from, oh, well, what does this guy know about? me or my lifestyle he was you know he's old he's right so it's unfortunate um but i do think you know some of the players of the younger um or some of the younger players do kind of connect a little bit more um i got to i got kind of close with odell beckham jr this year he's been pretty good to me and um you know i think it's how do you perceive him i perceive him as a wonderful guy um, I didn't expect, I mean, you know, you don't know what to expect. Um, I kind of expected that prima donna thing, I, but he, uh, he's, he was very, very open, very kind, very, you know, willing to talk, very, you know, just, I think he's misrepresented and think he's misunderstood. I think, I think he does love the spotlight. I think he loves his attention. Um, There's really nothing wrong with that. No, no, I don't. And, and as long as it's not taken away from other guys and not taken away from the team, which I don't think it does. Um, but no, I, I think Odell's great and I would, you know, I think it would be, um, unfortunate if he couldn't find his way here in Cleveland. Yeah. I'll tell you something too, Hayden, you mentioned about, uh, myself or Paul Hoynes or, or Mary Kay or whomever, um, you know, we deal in, you know, our, our currency is good stories. Yeah. We, you know, Mm -hmm. and so we've never lacked for good stories here in Cleveland. And (laughs) seriously, never (laughs) all contract ever. It is always something we have never. So if you're mining for gold and gold being a great story, a lot of us are rich in many ways because we've covered so many incredible stories, some heartbreaking, like a football team leaving town, you know, or someone dying and what have you. But we've been fortunate to cover just not many championships. I get that. But still, you know, over the course of all these years, there's been a lot of incredible stories to cover. And and you could go back to Modell moving the team. You could go to the Indians getting to the World Series for the first time in many years. You could go back to the cardiac kids or there's a million. So I think we've all we've been compensated in other ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, than just uh, someone who, let's say, works in Boston and Boston right now is freaking out about Tom Brady. But Boston, you know, Boston's got the Celtics who have won titles, the Red Sox and and the Patriots. And, you know, and so you would think, wow, that's that would be awesome to work. It would be kind of cool. But still, a story is a story. And we we deal in good stories, as do you. Yeah. No matter where you are. Yeah. So it's interesting you brought up, you know, being in other places. I mean, people, they ask me a lot. um, Where where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And, you know, so, I mean, I don't I, maybe some would say it's a lack of uh, a lack of drive, a lack of um, 
of dreams and goals, I guess. But like they're like, oh, don't you want to go to ESPN? Don't you go to New York? No, I love Cleveland, Ohio. Like it is. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm not your average guy. I'm not your average 27 year old guy. I I just have a different kind of mindset and a different set of ideals. I love this. I love this place. I grew up 30 minutes from Miami. And I never wanted to be there. I always wanted to be here. I just love the people. I love the town. I think, again, I think I just fit in here. I think I, I feel comfortable here. I feel happy here. And I think, you know, Cleveland is such, and for me, being a sports journalist, I think it's going to be like, it's that only that tradition of stories that you guys have, have, have created. It's only going to continue. Oh, I sure. mean, it's, it's only going to, there's something, even if it's not, success unfortunately it's there's always something special the the pride that the people have in the yep. city the pride that the people have in their in their teams you know yes people will get down on the browns yes people get down on the indians yes people get down on the Cavs. but i don't know if i'm allowed to say the word the d word but darn if darn if they're not going to come to their defense if somebody says something bad if, if yeah. somebody from boston says something about somebody from cleveland they're going to be the first ones going to be like, no, you're not going to talk about the Cavs that way. You're not going to talk about the Indians that way. You're not going to talk about so Cleveland true. that way. And I think that that's what makes the city special. And I would love to be here and I would love to be the next John Telich and, and, and just, and, and be happy and be ha Like I said, like we talked about, I was told you you control your happiness. And I think Cleveland, I would be very, very, very lucky and very happy if I could be here for the rest of my life. And would you be, uh, 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 you would you continue in in the journalism in, sure. in, and so I guess where I'm getting at is where's the music come in and all? Oh, this? Okay, okay, because we talked about the, because yeah, yeah you have that. you sure. have talent there, I and yet that. you know someone would just say work on that and and drop everything else. But I'm sure it's just a part of your life. But how did you get into that, and what's the fascination with singing like Michael Bublé? Okay, so I gave uh, you nine questions. You get, no, one. that's good. That's good. That's good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so music will always be a part of me, obviously. Um, I so my dad, my dad is from a small is originally from a small town in Pennsylvania. He met my mom here uh, when he was working for the clinic. He's been, he was here for a while, and so he grew up in a very small town. But he was his his mother, my grandmother, was very musical. She was very creative, artistic. She had she is where I got my English from. That that kind of love of writing and that that all the, she had that kind of a brain. And so my dad grew up singing. Um, he had a pretty good voice and he played piano pretty well. And he ended up having kind of the same thing where he had a passion for medicine. And and he was uh, he's the smartest man. The most my dad is my hero. He is the most smart, kind, humble, hardworking, incredible human being. And he had a side. He had that side to him. So he. He decided not to go with music, and he decided to do medicines, you know, to, to kind of get out of Red Lion, Pennsylvania, and to have, give himself opportunities. And music is very difficult to, you know, unless you want to be a music teacher, and I have an incredible support system of music teachers throughout my life, but it's very hard to, to kind of do it. So he had that thing, and he went for it, and so growing up, he kind of gave that on to me, and... Um, I originally started singing. I was classically trained in voice, kind of just, you know, traditional classical music. And then, you know, you, you find stuff. And, and I remember sitting in my parents' living room and they, I opened up the CDs. They had CDs back then. <laughs> CDs were a real thing, right? So they had all, they had a whole, my dad was, had this whole thing of CDs and I would go through. And I, my first love was actually not Sinatra. My first love was like Motown and doo-wop. I loved like the Temptations, the Four Seasons. Now you're talking. Aretha, yeah, Aretha Franklin, uh, Marvin Gaye. Like I loved that stuff, and like slowly I I started to listen. I started listening to that, and I would make my mom play the Magic One. It was in Florida. It was Magic 102.7, not Magic One. Was is was it Magic 105.7 here? Yeah, 105.7. Yeah, so Magic, in yeah. Florida it was two 102.7, and then. Um, so I would make my I would make my mom play it in the car and my siblings would be screaming like I don't want to listen to this crap blah 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 but so from there I kind of there was a song that would play every now and then it was called Mac the Knife it was oh, by yeah. Bobby Darren and because it was a 60s 70s station and I think that was 60s late 60s early 50s or late 50s whatever late 50s I think yeah, yeah. so they would play it and uh, as we have some musical accompaniment yeah. in the background <laughs> beautiful sets the Keep scene talking. sets the scene. <laughs> I'll follow Keep you if you want. You're, you're fine. And uh, 
and yeah, so Mac the Knife, um, I heard it and I was like, that's a, that's a, I love this song. I love that sound. And then I was looking through my CD, through my parents' CD collection and saw this guy named Harry Connick Jr. I pulled out the CD and I'm like, what's this? And I started listening to this album called Blue Light, Red Light. And he had this own kind of different sound. And then I was going through and I found Ella Fitzgerald's duets and I pulled that out. And then Frank, then all of a sudden, then I, then Frank Sinatra and then, then I was watching TV one day, and then this guy with this spiky hair and, huh. and this uh, this suit came on, and he was singing "Let It Snow," and it was different. And I was like, "Who is that? That guy's like, that's awesome. That's I love that sound." And sure Michael. enough, it was Michael. And uh, and I was hooked. I, I mean, he was like, you know, I loved Frank Sinatra, I loved Elvis Presley, I loved Bobby Darin, Dean Martin, but they were all dead. Yeah, they're all dead. Like I had nobody to to really watch and to see like he was the guy who kept it alive for me you know tony bennett yes very much so alive but he was older you know this was something so this was somebody that i could look up to and be like he's still doing it he's like in his 30s he's young and he's keeping the music alive and he's keeping it going Tremendous. so yeah so i you know i i fell head over heels for that music and you know the stuff that he would do so what i would do he would come out with a cd and he put the track list out and then I would go back and I'd like, I would look through every song in the track list and I'd be like, oh, so this person did that song originally, this person did that song. And then from there, I would just like, I just grew this entire catalog of music in my head. And like, I have like every, I'm not, I'm not saying that I know every recording, but if I would be shocked if you could stump me on a Frank Sinatra recording or a Bobby Darren recording or a dean martin recording or anything because i i just every day i just would sit and listen to the music over and over and over and over again and um when you listen to it so much i think you get to you know i was lucky i was fortunate enough to be born with kind of a a a voice and um i remember when i was in fifth grade my my uh, voice teacher said well what do you like to sing and i was like I don't really, I mean, I just yeah. like to sing. And she's like, well, don't you like, you know, that Frank, don't you like, aren't you, you know, into the Frank Sinatra stuff? And at that time I was getting into it. She's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I guess. And I remember she pulled out, it was from, um, not not the song, The Lady and the Tramp, or Lady is the Tramp, but the movie, The Lady and the Tramp. Oh, okay. It was Bella Note, right? Yeah. I think that's the song. And she pulled it out and she's like, this is it. This is you. This is your voice. You, like you. This is it. And that was history. So I've been singing it ever since. And uh, I actually, my first year in college, I went to the University of Miami in Florida and had a jazz vocal scholarship. And I did the same thing as my dad. I went the opposite direction and, uh, you know, pursued my passion for sports journalism, which has been a great decision because I can still sing. Yeah. And so what's going on with that right now? You do yep. perform. I do. You've, you've cut some some yep. recordings or, or and put them out there on the internet I assume. yeah yeah i've uh i've been lucky enough to record a couple albums i did a christmas album and then i did my own first album um so i was lucky enough it was funny after the cleveland sports awards i think it was 2015 okay you know the cleveland sports awards very well it's a kind oh, of yes, an annual been there <laughs> it's, it's kind of an annual thing where we all get together and we're like oh good to see you and yeah. We barely talk to the athletes, but you know it's always fun to yes. ch- catch up with JT and D Man and, and everybody else on the. You see some ESPN yeah, personality yeah. come in and yeah. get a big check to host a show. Exactly, and, where yeah. John Tellich should be hosting it. <laughs> Cle- Greater Cleveland Sports Commission, I love you, David Gilbert, Meredith Painter, I love you guys, but keep it local. JT can do it, man. <laughs> JT can do it. But still, it's it's a fun. It event is. For it all, is a fun event. Yes. Yes. So. Um, after the show one year, I remember Denise Pulverine from Channel 3, um, who I've gotten to become friends with, she said, hey, you know, we're going to go to Johnny's downtown. Um, you know, we know you can, we, we've heard you can sing, you know, this guy named Mike Patron is, he plays at Johnny's and he always lets people come up and sing with us, sing with them. And I was like, oh, sure. Like I'm not doing anything. So walked over to Johnny's and Mike was there. He got introduced and he's like, well, what do you know? And I said, well, I don't know. You play something and let's see if we can do it. And sure enough. Two hours later, we'd done, you know, 10 songs and just together and uh, a friendship was formed. um, And Mike has been absolutely instrumental to me. And uh, he helped me cut my albums. He's introduced me to a ton of great, you know, musicians in the area. And I didn't know, I I guess I didn't understand how great a music town Cleveland is. You know, Cleveland's known as being a food town. It's known as being a sports town. Um, But the music scene here is really, really good. And obviously having the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame you know, you tend to think more rock, but there's all kinds of music here in Cleveland. And uh, 
Mike introduced me to a man named Eric Dregny, who is uh, who is a band leader for uh, two bands, two big bands in the area, the Danzola Orchestra, which is a 17-piece big band, and then um, then Sketch Anderson Orchestra, which is also a 17-piece big band, and he's kind of carrying on the tradition of some older, you know, people who have. Um, retired and and but he's keeping these bands going. They're playing every night at brother every night at brothers every Monday night at brothers lounge is uh, the Sketch Anderson Orchestra. Incredible musicians, seventeen piece big band, trumpets, saxophone, wow. bass, keyboard, you know, drums, the whole the whole big band sound. And uh, I so I met Eric and he worked on my album with me and he invited me to come out to sing uh, with the big band and. It's been a great relationship ever since. Um, I'm singing the songs that I grew up singing, and uh, I, it's just the start. It's the start of hopefully uh, a great new musical chapter. What's uh, what's your favorite Buble song? My favorite Buble song. So, do you you mean original song, or do you mean like a cover? Maybe a cover. A uh, cover. Yeah. Um, well, he did again. He did Mac the Knife, uh, which I thought was great. It's actually the f- I think I performed that when I was in sixth grade talent show. Um, I love his uh, cover of Georgia on my mind. It's a great one, right? I could go. Th- that's the problem, JT. I yeah. could go through the the entire discography from <laughs> from disc one to disc five. There's so he did a cover of "You Make Me Feel." I, my favorite song is "You Make Me Feel So Young." I I, lo- I love it. I don't know why. It's just I do know why because it's I think it's the most beautiful. Like it's not. It's a love song, but it's also just. It's a song about life, you know, when you meet somebody who makes you feel happy like you're a kid, you know, it, the best memories I have are of are being a kid playing in the yard. Right. Don't you? That's what it's about. And it's about having like not having a care in the world, just being out there and, you know, you have you barefoot know, running through the running yeah, through the yeah, grass yeah. you make. Yeah. And like when you meet that person who makes you feel that way again, you know, that's. I mean, when you have that, you know, that crush, that, that crush on that girl when you're in second grade, or who makes you like, yep. who brings back those memories. I love that song for that reason. It just, it brings me such uh, joy and, and I love singing it. It's such an amazing song uh, and I love the message that it sends. He also did on his latest album, he did, a, uh, I Only Have Eyes For You. I love that song too. Um, so those would be probably my two favorite. So hopefully when he's in, I, I'm going to see him in concert. He's here he's like here. late month, no? 27th, yeah. And uh, it'll You'll be, be front row. Won't I you? will be front row. I will be <laughs> saved up all the little money that I have <laughs> to make sure that I'm there. Can you send us out on anything, Buble? Sure. What do you want? Uh, uh, what, you said Georgia. Yeah, Georgia's uh, great. Do, let's see if we. So just a little bit of it. Now I don't know if I'll get any ass cap or being. Oh, let's trouble, hope not. But uh, even if, if you do 20 seconds. But before time. before we go, I just I do want to thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, My pleasure, man. You have a good, very good story. I and, appreciate and, that. And I again admire you for being free to speak about something that's difficult for people to talk about. Yeah, the mental health thing is. Um, uh, and I have I have to give Kevin Le- Kevin Love all the thanks. I mean, yes, I, I didn't even bring yeah, him up, and I'm glad up. you are. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about LeBron, but um, it's fu- it's it's funny in a weird way. Like I always, grow, like growing up, like LeBron was such a big thing. Like everybody, he was a big thing for so many. But Kevin Love, I always I always just enjoyed watch. I, there was some about him that I just enjoyed watching when he was in Minnesota. I just I had some kind of connection. I just always was like, oh man, like wouldn't it be great if he played for the Cavs? Like, yeah. if, and then, and I didn't know why. And I and I honest to God think that's why. I think that I saw him on a different level. I saw like maybe I didn't see it at the time, and maybe I I believe in fate. I believe in God. I believe in in all that stuff. And maybe I there was a reason for him to come to Cleveland. Maybe maybe there was a reason for me to get some cover and be around him. Because I, I do, I, I owe everything to him. He came out and he told his story and in a league where a lot of people There's weren't a lot ready of to, on that. Yeah, and there weren't a lot of people ready to tell that story. And I told him my story and we I just again it, it just felt like we were we seen each other. We saw each other for who we really were through all you know in, over the facade of him being Kevin Love, over yeah. the facade of me being a reporter. We saw the struggle in each other and um he inspired me to tell my story, and we really became pretty close in in regards to that after um, after all that came out, and after I told my story. And we're actually hoping to work on something here soon with each other um, to kind of tell our stories. So, uh, Kevin Love is is you know I, I know a lot again a lot of people give him. 
garbage for, you know, being paid a lot of money and maybe, you know, not always producing what they feel he should. But in my mind, he's a hero. He's an absolute hero. Um, he's brought this awareness on this horrible affliction that so many people deal with and they don't even know it. So Kevin is always going to be a hero, um, not as a basketball player, but as a human being. I mean, it's just he he's given so many people so much hope. And I think that's what I I don't talk about what I would talk about to gain to get to be for people to feel bad or people to, you know, to have anything to say. I feel that I want people to to recognize something in their own lives that they can feel the same way and they say, okay, here's how I can get over it. Here's how, you know, I can talk to somebody or I can, we can, we can get rid of this, like, oh, you know, buckle up, <laughs> buddy boy, you know, and go talk to somebody. It's all about talking. It's about communication. You're going to feel so much better if you just talk because once you talk, then you're going to find solutions and you're going to find your way. If you keep it bottled up, that's when bad things happen. So, um, I, again, I thank you for giving me a platform to talk about it. it. Absolutely. And, uh, for Kevin Love, being the hero that he is and for so many in the mental health community DeMar DeRozan uh, Ben Gordon and so many others um, it's 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 not easy to talk about and I think we got to start pushing to different sports we got to start going to baseball and basketball or baseball and football and hockey because those are the next very good all right Georgia Georgia I'm Georgia right, my man all right here we go Georgia Georgia the hold it through just an old sweet song keeps georgia on my mind on my mind i said now georgia georgia no song of you Comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the pine. Beautiful. I appreciate it. What a way to end, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you. John Tellish, the man, the myth, and the legend. I appreciate you. There you are. Thanks, Hayden. Thanks once again to Hayden Grove. I absolutely loved that interview. And a shout out to Odell Beckham Jr., whom he spoke of, to Kevin Love, to LeBron James, and to the many seasoned veterans of media here in Northeast Ohio, like Mary Kay Cabot, like Paul Hoynes, and the folks on the TV side who have been around a long time, like Jimmy Donovan. Uh, A shout out to all of you folks as well. Great to have Hayden in our midst. All the best to Hayden Grove as he moves forward as a sports journalist and as an entertaining singer. He is absolutely amazing. If you like this, then please subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and please share this if you can with others. Thanks again for listening to this week's edition of Tellich Talks, and we'll see you somewhere down the road. Thanks again.